Welcome to, to the Seven Ways Podcast on Sefer Shoftim, the Book of Judges. This season is the Downstream from Religion series. Feel free to reach out to me, comments or questions, rabbi at rabbibailey.com. Also at Ian Paul Bailey on Twitter, Paul with two L's, old school English name. And at Seven Ways, the number seven ways and seven, the number seven, ways wellness. We can find us on Facebook as well. In this episode, I'll speak about male and female interaction and exceptional women. This is part three of the Devorah and Barak section of Shoftim, the book of Judges, chapters four and five. Uh, in order to understand the maladies in those times, we must understand that Avodah foreign worship, idolatry, leads to a breakdown in male-female emotional and relationship health. I have already, already postulated that um, Avodah Zarah, of course, is the projection of our own uh, base desires, if we give into it. And if someone uh, projects uh, a woman figure that will be um, sort of easy to approach for intimacy and such, uh, it breaks down his ability to properly engage in the best practices, quote-unquote, that we will speak about today. And if a woman or a man is waiting for this Avodah Zarah lowercase g god, to come along with strength, he or she will not find strength within, within themselves. Benos Midian, in the book of Devarim, the daughters of Midian coming to seduce the Jewish men, giving them the religion to, foreign religion to break religion, to do inappropriate behavior, and of course the tradition all the way to Mount Sinai, brought by the Magolias Hayam, that... We have a tradition that every single Avodah Zarah involved in appropriate relations. Before I get into the kind of psychological advice, um, anything that will be taken as Musr, I like to reference first as having a perspective of not being self-critical. You know, certain things are hard for us not to do, such as Lashon Hara. Certain inappropriate things can be difficult for people. Um, so I'm just trying to give a psychological angle to it so people can try to grow. Our job is to grow each and every step, not to be self-critical. That just makes it worse to engage in this, uh, giving yourself malchus in the back. So this is just advice, you know, Kaddish Baruch who knows how much free will we have in each mitzvah and avera, and he apportions it based on that. He doesn't just condemn us, chas uh, v'shalom. You know, there's sort of this, Reb Dessler talks about this battlefront, you know, the, the line of scrimmage in football. Kaddish Baruch knows how much we are down the down the road on the battle line, how much we uh, are culpable for our veros. So do not be too self-critical about this. Just get involved in the teshuva process. But here is a psychological aspect behind it. In terms of the psychology of all this, one of the reasons why inappropriate content is so destructive is that it feeds into our weaknesses. It doesn't enhance our strength. Um, so if somebody you know, is waiting for a mother figure to come along and to save them and indulge them, then it's a, it's a weakness inside of a person, especially inside of a man. The man needs to find that strength inside of them to give, as we will speak about soon. You know, If a, if a man keeps looking for a, a weak people in that fantasy, they're just... Um, you know, thinking about their own power. There needs to be a certain yin and yang of giving. A woman has the femininity and the strength that we need to um, 
match up with. So that's one of the reasons why these things are so unhealthy for us in our days. In other words, I'm trying to explain how even, even though we don't bow down to idols, we have to be careful for what is uh, quote-unquote downstream from religion. You know, when, when we break our ideology, it creates a little subculture within our minds and in our behavior. So the goal is not to be perfect at any given moment, but to understand the malady that we are facing in order to undo the psychology and to grow, to be strong and kind within us. So we must speak about male-female relationships, and I believe that's why Devor and Barak are highlighted here so closely. So let's do an inside-out approach. In uh, part one, we spoke about the general typical approach that we had, and we postulated that Devorah is a Moshe Rabbeinu-type figure as a Netzach figure, which means intellectual prowess and knowledge. And she wielded Tiferes here. The main Ikra Mida here, the Ikra attribute is actually, the primary attribute here actually is Tiferes, um, which is a type of creative Mida. And here it has to do with the media, with the presentation to the world that Yavin and Sisera were not going to dominate as declaring themselves gods, lowercase g, but Kadosh Baruch Hu is the true uh, power in the universe. That was sort of the media message. I have a caveat, an interesting thought here that will come up also with Hod and Yisod. You know, if there's supposed to be a Tiferes message here, why did this message not come? Why does this message not come from something literally artistic, such as music or um, pictures? And in fact, the celebration is through the song. So first of all, I saw in the Midrash, Bracious Rabbah and in Yalkut Shimoni, that actually the Tiferes is not the battle, it's the song that is sung. So Devorah here, being Netzach Tiferes, intellectual prowess with creativity, is paralleling Moshe Rabbeinu, Moses, when he had uh, his Netzach moralistic messages uh, with the plagues and with the Song of the Sea. Uh, so the victory itself is the message that Kodesh Baruch Hu God is mighty. But I also want to postulate as follows. When you have tyrannical death worship making everyone afraid on their heels, it's hard to be creative. And sitting here in August of 2021, this is exactly what's going on in the world. People are living a life of fear. It makes people feel on their heels. People have the same reaction. People match this up in the chart. People have the same reaction to gaslighting, to abuse, and to when people are being tortured. They live a life of fear. And we ourselves must be able to reassure ourselves that we need to be ourselves and be creative. We cannot live a life of fear. These ideas of society, shots, COVID, disease cannot dominate our minds. We must get away from the news, the media itself, to get involved in religion and Shabbos, um, the Sabbath, spirituality, taking time each day to work on our physical health and our spiritual health, etc., etc. I'm working on a podcast about that. So here, it's hard for people to be creative when they're afraid, and it's not the answer. The huge media message saved the day. Devorah as the catalyst for this is fascinating. She is a shofetes. She's a female judge. This is unprecedented. Uh, women are not typically rabbis. They're not typically judges. How did this happen? So she was the smartest woman in the room. 
by uh, God's command or because Israel accepted her judgments, she became the de facto shofet for the time. She is called a Nevia, a prophetess, and a wife of Lepidos. This, this gives birth here to incredible thoughts about what happens, how does the world deal with the issue of a woman being the smartest person in the room? All of a sudden, you know, on the one hand, we tell women, be smart, get involved in STEM, be a leader. We will see in my Seven Ways Women's Way series, the other famous prophetess, Hulda. She's harnessing Mida Yisod. Women can be dynamic. Women can be wise. But there's a double-edged sword there. All of a sudden, we see, ah, she's opinionated. She's a witch. Why can't she be more pleasant? It's an interesting dynamic, especially considering here to send Barak north to fight, she offers him to be the leader, and he said, I will not go without you. Interesting. Here, a woman is not finding strength from a man who is possibly her husband, according to the commentary. He is looking for the strength in her. So let's get, that, let's get into this a little more. Devorah would sit under a palm tree so she could remain modest, and not be in seclusion with people she judged. People came to her for judgments and for strength, and she was Lapidos. What does it mean, Lapidos? It means her husband was Barak. Barak is called Lapidos because he made wicks for the base of Medash, for the Holy Temple. So the husband and wife co-workers. And if it's not her husband, she's Lapidos. She's a fiery woman. <laughs> A woman who's fiery, who's knowledgeable. It creates a different dynamic that is still valid, but it's a different dynamic. She offers to her, she offers to Barak, do you want to go to the war? And he says, if you go with me, I will go. If you do not go with me, I will not go. She says, fine, I will go with you, but I will get the Tiferis. I will instigate this Tiferis message throughout. This immediately conjures up the concept of how men and women relate to each other. You know, I'm a mental health therapist, not only a Rav, and pretty much almost every session we do male and female relationships comes up. Uh, you know, spending time, women waiting for the man in their life to change, uh, husbands complaining about their wife being critical. Let's try to understand this dynamic in a way that is con constructive and not just victimhood or pathology. So men and women are created to have reciprocal natures. Picture yin and yang, but it's not that Zoroastrian secular deal, different religion. It is men and women fitting into each other, conceptually. Conceptualized as a chesed gevura dynamic with Hod and Netzach, male and female have gender personality despite their typological personality. If you think about this, and I have charts for this, I hope to throw up one day some YouTube, you know, a woman can be typologically analytic and wise, but she still has part of her that is gavura and hod. She still has part of her that hod, activated when people are in trouble. That's the sugar and spice and everything nice. But women actually have a side to them that's extremely strong. As John Gottman shows in his research, and as we know from Midas Gavura, women are gavura, they're not chesed. They give form to things. They bring up problems, the safety in the relationship. That's the level two after chesed. 
men will give chesed, it is risk, it is substance, and women in this context give it form. Set aside the other sources there. Okay, to the, to the opposite, they're not really to the opposite. Men have netzach and chesed. So men will do risk, they will take initiative, suggest, and women will reciprocate with the gevura. And the netzach is the testosterone, the, the, the toughness, the analytic prowess. That's elevated in every man, regardless of his typological personality, even if he's an empathetic helping type. So, ideally, man takes initiative, woman responds. You know, when a man says to a woman, I don't know, what do you want? It's a big turnoff. It's not the way. However, if a man says, we're doing this, he's a dictator, right? <laughs> you're two shades away from being a dictator. You're two shades away from being pathetic. The magic formula that I inculcate into my clients is, I think this, what do you think? A man having an opinion, that is the right way to go, and women like this, and then you ask the woman what's her opinion, that way she can influence and you have a cycle of communication there. It's the same thing with uh, chores or money or anything, it's, it's a cycle of giving. If the man humbles himself, chesed, does a kindness, so to speak, a chesed, to not argue about every point, um, not to argue about every point, not to be defensive, then the woman will follow suit and they have a cycle of giving. You know, if you have three judges, as in the Mishnah and Sanhedrin, two cannot weigh one, odd number. But two people in a couple ship, two people in a couple, you're in trouble. How do you decide things? It takes one person to be strong and have that fortitude to let go and to give in for the sake of the coupleship and then the other one can come along and imitate and go back and forth. If that doesn't happen, there's no cycle of giving. So this is the ideal method. What becomes complicated in relationships, and it actually dovetails with my experience with couples, is you can have a woman who gender-wise has that hoed and the gavura of a woman. She wants to be given to and she wants to help only when people are in trouble. But her typological personality is extremely wise Netzach. And you have a man who can be someone who's more of a typological receiving type, but he still has to activate that masculine potential to have the Netzach and the Chesed within him. To have not just emotional kindness, but to take risk, to take initiative, and to have analytic typological um, strength. So essentially what I'm trying to say is, in a long-winded fashion, what goes on in Parag Dalit here, the interaction between Devor and Barak is one where a person might find the most difficulty within marriage. And I, I'm, I'm going to add fuel to the fire here too. It's possible Barak had Gavura and Tiferet as his Mida. It's possible that he has that. Barak means lightning, and... He was a, if he was a wick maker, he could be have Tiferous with him. So someone who's Gavura can be extremely defensive and self-oriented. That is the opposite of what a man needs to do. A man needs to be a provider and a giver. I call it a non-emotional giver to separate it from Hud. And, you know, as Tiferous, Tiferous Mida can uh, absorb the world, incubate and create to make beautiful creativity. However, it doesn't always stand up as something that is extremely assertive. You know, creative people are, are assertive and they express themselves. They don't like conflict. They don't like 
uh, to kind of be pressured and, and, and uh, pursued and have to be strong and Nitzach and humble themselves. So it's, I think for the man with Teferis Mita, it's the hardest for him to harness his Nitzach masculine potential, but he can still do it. This is the message. This is the message of the Torah. He still has that gender, the gender side to him. And there are many men who are and have been creative, but strong and masculine and steady, despite the ups and downs of their creative process. It's a beautiful thing. So, I, so I, we, we never want to directly, out of hand, criticize people in Tanakh. They were much greater than we. At the same time, Avram ben Rambam writes, as long as you're not being disrespectful, out of hand, you can learn lessons from them. So the lesson here is, if someone struggles to take initiative, if they find solace in that strong woman, then they indeed lose the glory. It's not the ideal way that the world should flow. Even when the woman is the strongest um, de facto personality and the wisest, Kodesh Baruch Hu, and here Devorah gives him an opportunity to be strong. It's a powerful, beautiful message of a dynamic in our society. I hope to illustrate it more in seven ways, women's ways. Seven WWW. Sounds good, W. Um, and this exactly leads into another beautiful source here. Um, several madrashim of different languages. The husband of Devorah was an Amharitz. His wife said to him, Come, I will give you wicks, and you will go to the base of Maidash. So what she didn't tell him is she had a furtive plan to build him up. Women have a choice when they speak to their husbands. You know, they can start out with cutting him down, rhetorical questions, verbally barbing them, or they can try to put them on a pedestal to say, I look up to you, I want more from you, I want this. Now at the end of the day, I will admit women need to use that gavura to keep turning up the volume, to strengthen the man, to wrinkle him, to get him to do what's proper. But that's a process. It doesn't start with that. It starts with building him up. And guess what? Devorah built him up. She sent him to the base of Midrash with the wicks. She says he should be sitting around kosher, righteous men. He should not sit here with the wastrels on the street corner. And that is indeed what happened. He became a knowledgeable man because she sent him on these missions. However, even if we don't succeed in making every man a sage. And this is a powerful message for our generation. You know, we study in yeshiva as if we will become a, a magid shir, someone who teaches an advanced Talmudic discourse, a lecture class. However, at the end of the day, we will not all reach that, and that's fine. Don't criticize yourself. Be yourself. Find your tafkid. Find your spiritual, meaningful place in life. Um, someone can be a factory worker, electrician, or repairman but they can still have righteous behavior. This is what the sages say. Check out the sources here. Barak would mashamesh. He would be an apprentice, a beetle. In that Chaim Patak language, he would be a B-A-D-L-E, not the musician and not the animal, not the T, not the D. He would be an apprentice. He would be a shamesh to the elders in the days of Yehoshua. And he would go back and he... Um, serve the elders even after Yeshua passed away. So listen, someone can have righteous behavior and still be a good match for a sage of a woman. In fact, I remember in the early 2000s, my wife and I had recently gotten married. We spent a Shabbat, Shabbos meal 
with a family where the woman taught Torah in a women's seminary, extremely wise, and her husband was not a Torah teacher. Um, and before they got married, she said she had to ask a rabbi, should I marry him? He's not a big Talmud Chochum. He's not a big sage. He's not a... And the rabbi, and the, the rabbi she asked, told her, absolutely, if it's a good match, it's a good match. He's, he's great behavior and he still studies Torah. Big deal. And they got married and they laugh about it and they rub off on each other in terms of actions and study. So the Torah once again reflects these beautiful types of paradigms in our lives, but it provides the answer. So in this time, even though Barak made a misstep, Kadosh Baruch Hu God brought about the salvation through two beautifully righteous people. I want to briefly address Yael. I've already generally addressed this song again. It's a Teferis expression. I'm sure we can generate many pieces of meaning from it, um, but I want to just leave it as a general Teferis expression. It is interesting that it says they gradually became strong over uh, Yavin and Chav Gimel. Progressively harsh upon him, and they destroyed him. If anybody has any idea about why that's significant to our approach or to your approach, please let me know through email, uh, rabbi at rabbibailey.com or rabbibailey at gmail.com. Tweet at me, Ian Paul with two L's, Bailey, or um, Seven Ways, number Seven Ways, number Seven Ways Wellness, or uh, check us out on Facebook. Very interesting. Only if your rabbi says it's allowed. Ha ha ha. Another thread here before we circle back to Devorah is the thread of Yael. It's actually fascinating. There's there are subtle psukim here. These these uh, ins- little sentences that even Art Scroll puts into parentheses as if they're kind of uh, you know backhandedly added there, but they're actually significant. I think so. In Parak Aleph Pasuk Tes Zion sixteen. The children of the Canaanite, Moses' father-in-law, went up to the city of date palms, that's Yericho, um, with Yehuda in the wilderness, in the south. Previously, they were in the desert, hanging out near Amalek. Why would that be? Why are they hanging out with Amalek? Skip over to our parak here, Dalid, uh, chapter 4, Yudalaf, 11. And Heber the Cani, who some say is Yisro, some say is a different person, had become separated from the Canaanites, from the children of Hobab, who's actually Yisro, pitched the, his tents as far as the plains of Zananim near Kadesh. So he basically is telling you that because he's over here near the uh, narrative of our story in the north. And then Yael is the wife. So, so uh, is there any significance in these types of people? Is it just a unique victory through women? I think the answer is as follows. Yisro is described by Chazal as someone who studied all of the religions and came to it through that. He didn't come to it through being born into it. Uh, and in fact, Midrashim highlight his sort of a disagreement with he and Moshe about how they were raised and how to raise children. Um, Moshe is, is, I know Moshe grew up in the Paro's palace and all this, but he, Moshe grew up as a very religious figure. You know, he's using Hashem's name, and he's worried about his people, and he's worried about um, they keep morality and, and uh, the oppression and the Torah study later. Whereas Yisro is kind of this, 
consummate Baal Teshuva, we say in the vernacular. He's someone who came to God later in life, and he he sort of is someone who is, is uh, I view him as a Yesod figure, and I write this in the Seven Ways book. His name is Yasser, more. Yosef means more. They both act as major consultants. They appreciate the secular knowledge, the outside world, and that's how that's actually what keeps them from. I think people with the Yesod personality, actually, when they're away from uh, the Jewish people in, in the secular realm, they actually feel more religious connected to God because they don't have the cultural Judaism cultural Judaism weighing them down. They just feel the direct connection to, to God, HaKadosh Baruch Hu. So Yisro is this type of Yisod figure. He's a religious a man. He, you know, as the sages say, he converted to Judaism. But he goes back. He lives in the woods. He, he before they're in Israel, loves this sort of open-minded secular realm. And I think Amalek can be seen as a nation that is the evil version of Midas Yeso. They're, they're the Tuma. They're the impure Klippa. They're the impure spiritual shell root of what it means to be open-minded to appreciate the secular. To them, nothing is sacred. They're so open-minded, their brain fell out. And they have to say to anybody, your religious fervor bothers me and it hurts me. I have to be a fat man jumping in a bathtub. As Chazal say, the Jewish people were on fire when they came out of Egypt. But Amalek cannot stand this. They must be like a fat man jumping in a bathtub. Even though he gets scorched, the water's cool. The Jewish people get attacked from behind by these evil deconstructionists is the philosophical term. They must deconstruct everything. They can't stand things being passionate and, and serious. They attack the Jewish people to cool them off. So, in a strange way, Hebra Kenny, these, these Canaanites are always living out there. But they see, ha, oh, Israel is settled. Hmm. They move in. They start with Yericho, the first city, and they go down to Yehuda. And if you look at the map, there's Yehuda, Binyamin, and actually Ephraim is right above there, and Manasseh is above there. So they really live in this core part of Israel near Yisod, near Binyamin, who's friends of Yisod, and near Yehuda, which is a very safe place with the Malchus, with the more assertive slash aggressive type individuals that will keep the safety. So they can prosper with their Yisod in this there. And... Hebra Kani and his wife Yael are going to harness Midas Yisod. So if you go to the history of Yisod, Yosef is someone who understands beauty and he has a choice. He can use his beauty for physical pleasure and indulgence and affairs, or he can use it to protect beauty. And that's what he does. He protects it. When Yaakov comes back to confront Esau, it describes all of his wives as standing in front of the children, but with Yosef, Yosef stood in front of Rachel, and therefore the Madrashim expound extensively. He's Ali Ayan. Yosef is someone who uses his eye to understand beauty and how sensitive it is and to protect it. So, Yisro, his descendants, understand the secular world. They understand the physical world of beauty. And Yael sees an opportunity to use beauty and intimacy to seduce Sisera into the tent, and to kill him ultimately. And as we know from Haman, from Titus, the great arrogant people 
fall with the tiniest blow from a Kaddish Baruch That's my little Yisod take on Yael. Getting back to Devorah. We are always trying to figure out why certain oppressors come to attack in Shoftim. And Devorah, mimicking Moshe Rabbeinu, brings a revival of learning of Torah. This is what the Midrash says, Kach Amr Devorah. Devorah said, it is so hard for me to separate from Torah. It is good to cleave to it. The Davik Ba. It was, the Torah was given with Mora and Gevura. With awe, if you're from New York, Ua, and Gevura, with great strength. And that's why it was passed over. And that's why in this generation, the Jewish people were passed over to their enemies because they neglected to study Torah and this would help this would help them to grab on to the Torah and they will not forget it. And why did Devorah sit under the palm tree? It was not only because of Yichud, because of seclusion, but because just as a palm tree has one heart, the heart of palm, if you will, sounds tasty. Thank you, I think I will have some. Just as the heart of palm, just as the inner part of the palm has one heart, so too, in that generation, the Jewish people ended up having one heart to their father in heaven. Even though people who are analytic, blunt, and factual may be more difficult for us to listen to. They mourned Moshe for a mere seven days, and Aharona Cohen, who gave them warm words, Aaron, the Cohen gave them warm words. They mourned for 30 days, even though we don't want to hear it. It is also good for us to hear the brutal honesty and the truth. We should set aside our emotions to hear the Torah and the facts and let them change us. Thank you for listening to the Seven Ways Podcast, Sefer Shoftim, the Book of Judges, this downstream from religion series. Please email me. Please comment. Tell me what I'm missing. Tell me more ideas. Please subscribe to my podcast. Please give me a good review or an honest review. What do we need to fix around here? We're a shoestring operation, but we're trying to spread the word of God and change the world. Because Baruch Hu, please help us to spread your please help us to spread your word and to love your Torah. Mm-hmm.